Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, welcome everybody. Today I'm joined by Paul Haggerty. Paul is a directing consultant at All Four, and uh, appreciate you joining me, Paul. Glad to be here. Paul's a professional engineer, professional geologist, and he's been at this for a while, over 30 years providing environmental and civil engineering consulting. And Paul's expertise lies in a lot of different areas, environmental permitting, dam and waterway engineering, remediation, to name a few. But today he joins me specifically to discuss SPCC requirements, a wide-reaching topic across a lot of industries. So we thought it would be timely to add this topic to the podcast. One interesting thing about Paul, among many, He's a pilot, so if you need a consultant to get out to your site quickly, he's probably better positioned than anybody else around. So, Paul, once again, thanks for joining me. Is there anything else in the way of introduction you'd like the listeners to know? No, other than I, I would say my background is probably more breadth than depth. You know, I'm happy to talk about water resources, natural resources, remediation, landfill, Superfund sites, and environmental compliance like we're talking about today with SPCC plans. Appreciate that, Paul. All right, let's go ahead and get into the SPCC question then. And as always, we're going to spend most of our time looking forward and really focusing on practical advice associated with the SPCC programs of our listeners. So, Paul, in that vein, my first question is going to be about the layout of an SPCC plan And we focus on the layout of the plan because in the end, we know that this is all about being the facility's documentation around this, and it should be readily understandable. It should flow nicely in order to be able to serve its purpose. So what's your general advice on the order of the sections and the layout and the flow of what a good SPCC plan looks like? Yeah, it's a great question. So If you read the regulations, the SPCC regulations, they say that you actually have to follow the order of the regulations themselves. And I don't know about you, but if you were to write a normal report in the order of regulations, you would have uh, not a very functional document and certainly not a document that you could easily reference if you really needed to in, uh, in the event of a release or a spill or something. So we usually recommend, and I, and I see that most of the time, more times than not, most SPCC plans are prepared just section by section through the regulations. Now, what we like to do, if we are afforded the opportunity to write a new plan for a client, we break away from that mold. We write the document to make it functional, to make it flow, and to make it a usable document. And so how you get around that with the SPCC regulations is you write it the way you want to write it, And then you provide what they call a cross-reference table at the end of the document to show where the different sections of the regulations were addressed within your document. All right. Thanks, Paul. So from layout and flow to some thresholds here with the second question, the 1,320 gallon or 1,320, you'll have to tell me what the SPCC, what the format is for that number. But the 1,320 gallon requirement, certainly it's become more ingrained for me as I learn more about these type of requirements, what are the key things to know about 
that threshold and what it applies to? Sure. Well, there's probably three items to talk about with this Magic 1320. So the first is, what containers do you use to add up to get to 1320? So any container that is 55 gallons or larger is included. So you can have 30 gallon, you can have all the 30 gallon containers that you want, and they don't go towards that 1320. So that's the first. That's probably the easiest one is the size. Second is what types of products go towards the 1320. Oil is the biggest one, and that's that's primarily where SPCC is focused, is towards oily products. And those are synthetic oils, as well as mineral oils, petroleum products, um, and any kind of mixed wastes. But the interesting thing about those is you can also have uh, fats, animal and vegetable fats, vegetable oils, oils from seeds and nuts. Those all go towards 1320. So if you have a client that has vessels of vegetable oil, they are SPCC regulated. Now, on the flip side, it's interesting to note that a lot of products that you might think should be in an SPCC plan aren't included like antifreeze, solvents. Um, I always joke you can have as many containers or tanks of ethyl hexyl death that you want, but if it's not an oil-based product, it, uh, SPCC does not apply. And then the third point about 1320 is what types of containers apply to SPCC. Obviously, tanks, above-ground storage tanks apply, but what a lot of people might miss is what we call oil-filled operational equipment. Things like electrical transformers, backup generators, hydraulic uh, elevator reservoirs, other hydraulic equipment that might have reservoirs greater than 55 gallons. Those containers are SPCC applicable. All right, so 1320, three-factor, size, material stored type of container. So like every other regulation, a seemingly simple number has a bunch of layers that go into it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that oil-based material categorization at the end and, and a little bit about some legal activity around that, I believe. But sticking with applicability for now, Paul, what's the distinction between oil-containing storage and operational equipment? I think you mentioned some of it, but just to drive that, that, that point home as folks are thinking about their operations. So, and I think what you're probably driving towards, Colin, is this term of oil-filled operational equipment, right? The electrical transformers, the uh, hydraulic reservoirs for elevators in a hospital, for example. You have two ways of addressing secondary containment of all containers in SPCC. Uh, One is by providing true secondary containment. And the second, for oil-filled operational equipment, you know, think of this, for example, for electrical transformers. You don't see many electrical transformers that have secondary containment around them. And that's okay according to the SPCC regulations. You can either have the secondary containment or you can have some alternate measures. And those alternate measures are you have to implement an inspection and monitoring program. You have to have your written commitment of resources. And the third one that I think is kind of funny is you have to have an oil spilled contingency plan in accordance with a different section of 40 CFR. So I always kind of joke, hmm, now you have an SPCC plan. And then if you want to exercise this alternate, 
you have to write another plan to put inside your SPCC plan. It gets a little clunky, but but there is essentially an alternate measure or an alternate means of providing secondary containment for some of this oil-filled operational equipment. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. Plan within a plan, so something to think about when you've got operational equipment on the inventory. Okay, so going from applicability and how certain things are handled, let's get into submittals quickly. So there's there's always questions around SPCC plans and submittal requirements, who they need to go to. So what's the somewhat definitive answer of who does an SPCC plan need to be submitted to? Yeah, so that's that's an easy question to answer, and so I'll expand it to. Let, let's talk about submittal and also talk about preparation of the plan. So submittal, this is easy. It doesn't need to go to anyone, and that's a shocker to a lot of people. It doesn't need to be submitted. The only time that it needs to be submitted is if there is a release, and even in that case, you don't actually submit the plan to the EPA if there has been um, a qualifying release. You submit a whole bunch of information to the EPA, and all that information might be included in your SPCC plan, but you actually don't have to submit that plan. Now, you do have to keep it on file on the site for EPA to inspect if they do come on your site, but that's that's one of the bigger misnomers is people think that these SPCC plans get submitted, and they really don't. But let's let's talk about preparation as well, and the role that the professional engineer has in preparation of an SPCC plan. And so, you know, and I don't think that we ever like to work our way out of work, but there's a lot of instances in SPCC where you actually don't need a professional engineer. So you can have uh, what they call tier one or tier two qualified facilities. If you are less than 10,000 gallons and you have no tank greater than 5,000 gallons in capacity, you're either a tier one or a tier two facility. And you don't need a, a professional engineer to prepare or certify your plan. Another instance that we we get requests all the time to recertify or review a plan that was prepared previously. And so our first question is, okay, well, in the past five years, have there been any changes to the facility? Have there been any what we call technical amendments? And if there have been no technical amendments, if you haven't removed a tank or added a new tank or changed your secondary containment, if you don't have any of those technical amendments, then you don't need a professional engineer to recertify your plan. You can self-certify that. So I think that's it on the uh, the preparation and uh, submittal of SPCC plans. Got it. So some ways to get a little more efficient uh, in certain cases without having to get some of those resources involved that you might typically associate with this process. I appreciate that, Paul. So one other question before we get into legal noise. This is a general one, but... In addition to the things we've talked about, is there any other practical advice that you would offer around preparing a plan or maintaining compliance with a plan through throughout your experience? Just any other practical advice that comes out of that? I, I would just go back to what I said previously, which is I, I would want to see a plan that is prepared in a functional and understandable manner as opposed to just going robotically through the regulations. I would also say, again, you can prepare your own plan in certain instances, but if you do, you really should know the regulations and then maintaining that plan. Certainly, you have an obligation in the regulations to review that plan every five years, but we usually advocate for something more like one year 
to review that plan. Uh, and then if you actually have any kind of modifications, any technical amendments at your facility, you have six months to modify your SPCC plan after those technical amendments go into place. Got it. Final question, Paul. There's been some legal noise around EPA's provisions that SPCC regulations apply to oil containing tanks, which we talked about earlier. What is this legal noise about? What are the possible implications? What should people know about what's going on on the legal front? Sure. So I'll give you a quick background, some sequential background. So the SPCC regulations went into effect in 1990 in the Oil Pollution Act of 1990, or called OPA 90. But as we talked about previously, it only addresses oil. It doesn't address any other hazardous substances that might be contained at a facility. So in July 2015, some environmental groups challenged EPA, which led to a consent decree. And uh, in June of 2018, in response to that consent decree, EPA issued a proposed rule. But they essentially stated EPA is proposing no new regulatory requirements to the SPCC regulations. Um, that proposed rule was published, and there was a public comment period that ended August 2018. But EPA never finalized that rule. So in October of 2018, not wanting to give up, the environmental groups, mostly headed by, I think it was the Natural Resource Defense Council, um, put another lawsuit on EPA, which resulted in another consent decree, which was just published in the Federal Register February of 2020. And that laid out a course where the EPA would have to um, – have two years to post a proposed rulemaking plus another 30 months for a final rule. So if I do my math correctly, February of 2020 plus two years for a proposed rulemaking, that's going to put us at uh, February 2022. So we might see something in the next year regarding some modifications to the SPCC regulations and possibly expanding it beyond the oil envelope with it, that it currently addresses. Paul, is there any indication, we've been talking a lot about the new administration and some of the activity that they've had around a variety of programs, reviews of long lists of, of regulations that they're going to assess. It doesn't seem much different than any other administration change. They've always got a long laundry list, but then priorities come into play. Have you seen anything specifically come out from them around the, the lawsuit or any activity around that from EPA yet? I haven't heard anything yet, Colin, but okay. I'll say that, you know, this, uh, the consent decree that was put into place was, was pre new administration. Mm -hmm. So that clock is already ticking. So I think that we're still on this course of possibly seeing something by February of 2022. I haven't seen anything that stalls that timeline. Got it. Okay, that makes sense, and obviously we'll keep close track of that. That would be, I, I would think, one of the bigger changes that would occur to SPCC regulations in quite a while if we started getting into that type of material stored type of criteria that's historically been used and has been based on oil-containing material. So, Paul, appreciate the time today. Timely topic, SPCC wide-reaching topic there is an article out on our website that Paul has drafted around SPCC plans as well. And don't be surprised if you see future content from Paul. And given the breadth of experience that he mentioned before, that he's not a guest 
back on the podcast about a variety of other topics in the future. So with that, Paul, thanks for joining and want to thank everybody as always for listening. Take care. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.